Hi, welcome to North of 48. Hope you're doing well. As I look look to the uh, soap opera that is the U.S. of A. More black people getting killed. Trial of a police officer. There's a lot of soap opera material there in news and keep a person busy for a long time. The COVID cases. Well, in Canada, we can't seem to get an enough vaccine however the third world countries they don't have any vaccine at all i know in my province of alberta where i live the cases are going up but then i seen a report from india where their emergency rooms there's two people per bed they're that that backed up with covid cases so I want to delve one more time into the mystery that is Wuhan, China and talk a little bit about the laboratory on North of 48. organization called Drastic and they're an organization of some scientists and they have a web page and they've been researching into the origins of COVID-2 the virus that's overtaken the world and I'm going to let a nice Australian lady from Sky News in Australia tell you a little bit more about it. A network of researchers and scientists have emerged over the past year, joined together by a desire to get to the bottom of the mystery. They live all over the world and had no connection before the pandemic. They call themselves Jurassic. And they're a multidisciplinary team whose skills include biology, maths, engineering, and the ability to collect and archive thousands of web pages deleted by the Chinese Communist Party. Some members have already published some peer-reviewed papers and they've been responsible for unearthing quite incredible information on the origins of COVID, including the fact, and you would have heard about this, that miners got sick and died after working in a Yunnan cave, Yunnan cave, that has been visited by the Wuhan Institute of Virology scientists. That was quite a major discovery. Just this week, they discovered patents that show the Wuhan Institute of Virology filed an application in June 2018 to patent bat-rearing cages capable of breeding. They've scoured the internet and mapped out bat sampling expeditions where lab workers were not wearing proper PPE and there were cases of scratches and infections. Drastic has now, I mean, it's, it started as this underground group and now it's been mentioned in the Washington Post, the New York Post and UK media. Now the actual members of this group, most of them, they have kept their identity secret, pretty much out of concern for their personal safety. The person who's coordinated this group over the past year, working 15 hours a day, is only known as Billy Bostickson. Obviously not his real identity. But for the first time tonight, two members of Drastic have decided to show their face, to be identified and come on national television. Joining me now in this world exclusive are Drastic members, engineer and data scientist based in Auckland, New Zealand, Gilles Dimenouf and... Hi, uh Good evening. And over in India, we've got Dr. Monali Rahalka, who's a microbiologist Hello. working at the 
Agaha Research Institute in India. Thank you both for having the courage to come on air. Um, Jill, I want to start with you. One of your crucial discoveries, okay. or one of the, the group's crucial discoveries, was finding the two missing uh, bat beta coronaviruses, which the Wuhan Institute of Virology has refused to speak about. Um, the virus databases have been deleted long ago, or at least hidden uh, from any investigators. You know, why are these databases so important to access? Well, it's actually essential to have access to these databases because they hold all the uh, viruses that the One Institute of Virology has collected and sequenced over time. And in particular, they hold all the new and unpublished viruses that we don't know anything about. Uh, and um, it's very interesting because the recent uh, uh, research that the Institute was doing was actually using some of these new unpublished viruses. And, and they had an express mandate to use uh, some of these to do uh, studies about uh, infection, uh, studies in vivo, so with animals and so on. That's basically the latest mandate uh, for 2019-20. Uh, mandate and research which was actually partially funded by EcoHealth Alliance, as we mentioned before. Uh, so we never really had access to the viruses. We, we don't really know what's there, uh, which viruses they have. Uh, we, um, previously, we only had access to a few of these. And in any case, the databases went offline uh, in 2019, 2020. So there is absolutely no way today we can actually check uh, whether in these uh, viruses, especially amongst the new viruses, there could be uh, any uh, virus that would be quite closely related to SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus uh, causing COVID-19. Uh, no, it's a very good question to ask, but for some reason, all these databases have been taken offline. Uh, there's a total of about 15 databases managed by the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and they are all offline. There's nothing left online. So we. We have questions, but we have no way to ask them, and we, we can't we can't basically get the answer. No, absolutely not. Now, Mona Lee, Drastic, your group, sent a letter to the World Health Organization investigators, a letter to, to each of them, or an email to each of them, with 50 technical Sorry. questions uh, that, that exactly. you think they need to answer as they, you know, commence this inquiry. You know, what is the most crucial thing that you think they need to find out here? Um. From the fifty critical questions, what I think, uh, like uh, I mainly researched about the Mojang mine shaft uh, cases. So basically, as you told the story before, uh, in two thousand twelve, there were uh, six miners or six people who went into a bat infested cave, and they were infected by a pneumonia. It was a lethal pneumonia, and three of these pe people died, and three survived. Uh, it was an extensive stay in the hospital and uh, Dr. Zhang Nanshan, who is the SARS doctor of China, he remotely uh, monitored those cases. Also, there is a PhD thesis found by the drastic team which uh, records that uh, the SARS antibody test in four of these people was positive. Right. So, um, in our paper published in Frontiers in uh, Public Health, we have uh, concluded that uh, the, the connection of this uh, Mojang minus pneumonia with COVID is very much uh, significant. Uh, secondly, the nearest relative of uh, SARS coronavirus 2, that is RATG 13, it is uh, RATG 13 was also collected from the same mine shaft. 
right? So a few of our questions actually uh, focus on uh, these sequences which were collected on the mine, which were supposed to be the next relatives of the SARS coronavirus 2. And uh, the sequences of eight such uh, viruses is not out yet. And uh, without uh, getting access to all of the sequences, without knowing that what experiments were actually going on, on these uh, viruses or maybe the sequences or the recombinant viruses obtained from this particular Mojang mine shaft and also the entire Yunnan region. I think we cannot uh, rule out the lab leak hypothesis. And that's, that's why we had actually posed this 50 questions and uh, they were ca categorized into different things. Uh, yes, yes, as you say, you know, the question about those miners who fell sick um, is just so crucial and whether they were sick with, with what has become, you know, known as COVID-19. Um, Gio, what do you think has been wrong with the WHO approach? You know, do you think they've looked at any of these uh, questions? Um, you know, what have you made of their inquiry this week? Well, I'm afraid to have to say that uh, the show that we saw a few days ago, last Friday, was a fairly poor show. I think that everybody in the world and all the press, except in China, uh, has not been particularly impressed. Um, what's, uh, from someone who has been researching this for you know many, many months, has spent a lot of time on this with, with a full team, uh, uh, what's really upsetting is the way the WHO has very... Um, in a very sloppy way, has basically uh, concluded first that they should uh, consider a, a frozen food pathway. And secondly, the way they uh, concluded they, that they should exclude a, a lab pathway. So let's go to the first one. So remember that the WHO, against every uh, opinion of every scientist except in China, the WHO has decided that the frozen food pathway could be the way SARS-CoV-2 arrived in China. So that's very interesting. But the most interesting is that uh, one of the WHO team members later actually explained to a journalist that the reason why they included that pathway uh, was simply to please uh, their Chinese colleagues. Uh, so now we are effectively uh, uh, something which is considered as a main theory, which actually was never introduced out of conviction, but just to please the Chinese colleagues. Uh, I find that quite um, amazing. Absolutely. Look, Look we're, we're almost out of time. We've only got a minute left. So I just want to go back to Mona Lee for, for a minute. Have, have you got anything to add, Mona Lee, on, on you know, what your analysis is of how the WHO uh, has approached this. And I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, as a group, you're, you're science-based or you say you're science-based and, uh, you know, you don't have a, a, a set view on the origins of the virus. This is a case of, of, of you all weighing up the probabilities of, of how it started. Yeah, uh, I think uh, we had uh, sent us 50 questions to WHO. Plus, at several times, we have tweeted uh, the peer-reviewed publications and also our findings uh, requesting the WHO members like Marion Koopmans or uh, other members to look at this uh, particular um, findings What as a drastic team what we have got. Uh, we never got any uh, response, I think. Um, and uh, I think uh, the questions which were emailed, uh, they got a weak response and... Uh, uh, we never got an assurance that, okay, we will look into all of this. That's what I know uh, from what Billy uh, told me or 
but andre goffinet uh, yeah they are all trustic members who actually communicated with this uh, uh, with the scientist in the who team and uh, we never got a solid response for, uh, from them uh, actually we had uh, pointed out very valid questions like for example there could be some uh, leakage into the you know sewage or maybe there were some uh, humanized mice over there so there were some lab animals over there which could have uh, Uh, got infected and then the virus would have got spread so such theories were also uh, have to be investigated when we say that it it could be a lab leak hypothesis so all of these questions were not answered by the team or i think we did not get any email response back from them assuring this yeah look got to thank you both so much for having uh the courage to come on air tonight to show your faces you know i know there've been a lot of concerns uh for the for the safety of your team as you continue to investigate this you know in 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 the flying in the face of authorities uh Jill Dimonuf Manali Ralka thank you very much and look forward to seeing Thanks a lot Sherry what are the world leading stories you. your group uncovers thank you Sorry about the accents if you're an English uh only person a little bit of a hard listen to if this was on YouTube I'd put in uh, subtitles but let me tell you a little bit about drastic I just ran into them today and I thought you should know a, a few things uh, about half of the members prefer to remain anonymous citing safety concerns fear of losing their jobs and a constant stream of hacking attempts Drastic is only interested in telling the public enough about themselves to convince people they're not a bunch of wackos hiding behind the internet. Since early 2020, Drastic has swelled to 28 members. They've built a website. And they say there's no overarching obvious hierarchy. Members work in subgroups on specific questions related to the origins of SARS-CoV-2. There are a few rules. I think the only rule we have is to respect people and we're not pressing people to tell us who they are. says Jill's Dimonoff, a New Zealand-based data scientist who is part of the group. Part of the problem is that the origin story has become entangled in geopolitics and conspiracy. Bad actors have seized upon the lab leak theory for political gain, sometimes attempting to shift the blame for catastrophic failures in managing the pandemic instead of remaining a scientific debate the origin story morphed into a political one in march of 2020 us president donald trump began propagating the idea that sars-cov-2 may have leaked from a wuhan lab the lab leak became intertwined with with trump foreign policy and the right Trump wine and poison the the discussion. Digin published a piece in Open Access Journal Bioessays on November 17th, 2020, stating that researchers have the responsibility to consider all possible causes for SARS-CoV-2. The piece discusses another loose thread Drastic has investigated for months, the modification and deletion of a 10-year-old database of viruses maintained at the Wuhan lab taken offline in September 2019, allegedly to protect against hacking attempts. Dane is a Russian-born scientist working on developing drugs to combat aging. 
He published an article on a Russian blog site, Haber, and on Facebook about a month before uh, uh, the master's thesis. In it, he questioned whether SARS-CoV-2 could have escaped from a lab. Prominent Russian biologists immediately discredited the work, suggesting he was pushing forward crazy narratives. Yuri Ding first heard the lab leak hypothesis in January 2020. He thought it was all bullshit conspiracy theory. He wanted to smash those theories with cold hard scientific facts, so he started doing a little digging on some of the laboratories in Wuhan. Once I actually started reading up on what kind of research they were doing, I was worried that, you know, this could have been a lab leak, he says. The lack of transparency from the Wuhan Institute of Virology prompted another drastic member, Monalai Rahalkar from India's Research Institute, to publish a list of questions surrounding the miners' illnesses in October 2020. Many remain unanswered. In April 2012, six miners were given a job of clearing bat waste and bat feces from a copper mine shaft in Tanwan Mojang Yunnan in China after working for 14 days in the case of four miners and four to five days in the case of two miners, they started facing breathing problems, cough and fever which required immediate admission to the Kunming Hospital in late April and early May of 2012. Three of the miners died in the course of 100 days, and three survived. The theses featured medical reports, radiological images, and detailed information regarding the diagnosis and treatment of miners. The main clinical symptoms in the six patients from the mine were cough and fever, and the main accompanying symptoms were dysnosia, aching limbs, bloody sputum, and headache. The details of the course of illness and diagnosis for individual patients showed interstitial pneumonia, ground glass opaque, and severe acute respiratory distress syndrome. In the first four patients, who also required a ventilator, some patients showed clotting complications such as pulmonary, I'm going to butcher this, thromboembolism or thrombosis and elevated values, D values. A doctor for respiratory diseases, a national advisor for the SARS and COVID-19 epidemic, had provided remote consultation for patients and the most serious patients. Two patients remained in the hospital for more than 100 days. Four patients had a very low oxygenation index and classified as ARDS. The diagnosis for patients... Two patients were pneumonia with the possibility of secondary infection. He requested a swab testing and SARS antibody testing to be carried in the Wuhan lab. He also asked the hospital staff to confirm uh, 
for the type of bat. The findings were concluded that the pneumonia cases were due to viral pneumonia, primarily from SARS-like coronaviruses originating from horseshoe bats. Blood samples were sent to Wuhan for antibody testing. The blood test results of four cases showed that four people carried SARS virus IgG antibodies, of which two were discharged with higher antibody levels, and two were hospitalized had lower antibody levels. The Kuming Institute of Zoology also confirmed that the six patients were ex exposed to Chinese horseshoe bats and harbor SARS-like coronaviruses. The analysis from the pneumonia patients indicated markers such as serum am amyloid, which suggested that the patients had a viral infection. The treatment given to the pneumonia patients included antivirals, steroids, antifungals, and antithrombotic medicines. The thesis concludes that severe pneumonia in minors was due to a SARS-like COVID from horseshoe bats. The conclusion that the minors' pneumonia appeared to be primarily viral and that it was most probably due to bat-related coronaviruses is noteworthy. I know that was a handful and I butchered it up, so I apologize. But that was my point. That's what I wanted to bring up. So in 2012, six minors caught a coronavirus-like disease. They were tested for SARS-CoV COVID, uh, antibodies and they had them. So once again, I'm just saying... If people would not get political about things and be calm, maybe the scientists could figure this out. But it seems to be everything's about politics, is it not? You, we've learned that from an early age. But wait, there's more. Rosanna Segreto stumbled upon a coronavirus origin story from very early on in the pandemic. She had quickly come around to the idea that the virus may have leaked from a lab. In March of 2020, Sangredo noticed an inconsistency in one of the papers on COVID-2's potential origins, published in Nature on February 3, 2020. The research was led by Xi, a researcher at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. She has a long history of working with bat coronaviruses, earning her the infamous title of China's Batwoman. The Nature paper was big news because it described, for the first time, the closest relative of SARS-CoV-2, RATG13. RATG13 is a bat coronavirus collected by Chi's team. The research showed it was 96.2% similar to that of SARS-CoV-2. The paper showed that it had been discovered by Xi's group in an abandoned mine shaft in Yunnan in 2013 and brought back to the Virology Institute in Wuhan. 
it returned a 100% match with Rat G13. Sangretto was so surprised, she said. It was a critical moment, made all the more startling, when she discovered a thesis, thesis, sorry, translation, taking two pieces together, was able to link the Rat T G13 to the mine shaft in Yunnan, where workers fell ill in 2012 from a COVID-like disease. The lack of transparency from the Wuhan Institute of Virology prompted another drastic member to publish a list of questions surrounding the miners' illnesses. In October of 2020, many remain unanswered. A lot of this information you can get from CNET and from Frontiers. But it's, it's really looking like if it didn't come from the lab, a lot of um, evidence is pointing that it did. So it came from a farm, it came from a, a bat, it got into the food market in Wuhan. Well, speculation is, is that it was actually in the fall of 2019 that some people got sick and it just developed and built. For my money, there are unanswered questions about the Wuhan lab and this organization, Drastic, is um, doing some good work. So I, I appreciate that. All we want is the truth. How did it start? And what the hell are the scientists doing nowadays? So that's food for thought. Now we're on the realm. If uh, if you had a different opinion, you could say, oh, that stuff doesn't happen. These scientists don't do that. They wouldn't take a bat virus and then do something to it. Well, I, th I think they may have. And I don't think it was on purpose that it got in the world, but it got in the world. At least that's what the evidence is starting to show. So let's go to a different story that shows you how these scientists sometimes approach things, especially when they got money to back up their experiments. In a move that some scientists say raises serious ethical questions, researchers have for the first time embryos that are a hybrid of human and monkey cells. Juan Carlos... Belmonte, a professor in the Gene Expression Laboratories at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in California, says that the research could one day slash waiting lists of organ transplants. The demand for that is much higher than the supply, he says. Writing in the scientific journal Cell, he describes how his team injected 25 stem cells from humans into a number of of Mackay monkey embryos. Over a hundred of the embryos remained viable, enabling the scientists to study how the different types of cells interacted. Our goal is not to generate any new organism, any monster, Belmonte stressed. We are not doing anything like that. We are trying to understand how cells from different organisms communicate with one another. This knowledge will allow us to go back now and try to re-engineer these pathways that are successful for allowing appropriate development of human cells in other animals. We are very excited. However, Professor Julian, I cannot pronounce his name, Savulescu, a director of the Oxford Center for Practical Ethics and co-director of the Welcome Center for Ethics and Humanities, University of Oxford, told Irish News that the research opens Pandora's 
box to human, non-human chimeras. Chimeras are creatures that retain the properties of two distinct species. In May last year, researchers deliberately created a human mouse chimera in order to study deep questions about disease and aging. Another team working in China has engineered embryos that were pig-monkey hybrids. Kirsten Matthews, a fellow for science and technology at Rice University's Baker Uni Institute, says the work blurs the line between what is and isn't human. Speaking to NPR, Professor Matthews said, should it be regulated as human because it has a significant proportion of human cells in it? Or should it be regulated just as an animal or something else? At what point are you taking something and using it for organs when it actually is starting to think and have logic? She added, I think the public is going to be concerned, and I am as well, that we're just kind of pushing forward with science without having a proper conversation about what we should do or not do. Boy, oh boy, is that not the uh, not the case? Should we do this? Should we? Um, hey, we got this uh, virus that got these miners sick. Can we tweak it a little bit? Uh, maybe we can use it one day for something. If you've ever, um, there's a British show, and it was about um, in the show it had um, pig-like creatures who were servants to mankind. Could these other scientists do something like that? Could it be far off? Would you want to see that? Where's the conversation? Where's the ethics and morality to this question? If you could save a life by growing it in a lab, and let's say this animal can think or is part human, are you allowed to take its heart or its kidneys and kill it in the process to save a human life? You know, these are some of the ethical and morality questions that have to be answered. My gut feeling is, no, let's not do this. Let's not make these, these animals and part human. And Next you'll have uh, human genes in a tomato and you'll eat the tomato. Does that make you a cannibal? The fuck is the world coming to? It's just mind-boggling what the, what they can do with science. I get that. And clones, yeah, they've cloned some animals. Think of the Dolly the sheep. I'm not sure how we're going to do these things in the long run. How are we going to resolve this? Countries are just doing doing crap. You know, now that there's trillionaires and there'll probably be a jillionaire soon i i'm sure bezos would if he wanted to finance any of this i don't think there's any way to stop it that's what the world's become there's there's um people don't get a voice in this we just sit back and watch we've sat back watched jobs disappear oh you know the one percenters were saying no don't worry don't worry, it'll, it'll trickle down. Well, it never friggin' trickled down. You're in worse shape. The pensions have been, um, the pension money, that used to be a part of the fabric of countries in the U.S. and in Canada. I mean, those funds are funneled off to uh, private people to invest as they wish, and uh, 
Even if they don't make money for each investment, they get a certain percentage of it. Going back to this uh, human, non-human chimera, Dr. Anna Smajdor, a lecturer and researcher in biomedical ethics at the University of East Angli Anglia, Norwich Medical School, said it posted, posed significant ethical and legal challenges. She added, the scientists behind this research state that these chimeric embryos offer new opportunities because we are unable to conduct certain types of experiments in humans. But whether these embryos are human or not is open to question. This could open Pandera's box to human, non-human chimeras. Professor Julian Savalescu added, These embryos were destroyed at 20 days of development but it is only a matter of time before human-non-human chimeras are successfully developed. It's one of the long-term goals of this research. There is a clear need for public discussion, says Sora Norcross, and debate about the ethical and regulatory challenges raised. Yes, yes there is. We need to get our act together, people. We need to have, uh, have answers to these questions. Are we going into a sci-fi future or a dark fantasy. I guess time will tell. Now I hope you got your vaccine shot and I hope you're not ill from it. Pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money. I don't know if you are but I hope you're safe. You keep safe and I'm going to talk to you next time real soon on North of 48. Take care. Bye.